Thank you, Tim, for reading our scripture tonight. Jeremiah 10, verse 23. We appreciate that reading, and we're going to take a little different route tonight. I had intended to preach from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. And uh, anyway, I made a change. I got to thinking about that lesson, and I thought, you know, really, there are a lot of folks that need to hear that lesson, and they probably won't be here tonight. And so I thought, what I'll do is hold it back and preach it next Sunday morning, Lord willing. So I apologize to Brother Billy. We'll just use the same song. We can do that. So tonight, we're going to be talking about the beauty of the Bible. And as we think about this theme, the beauty of the Bible, let me just ask tonight, how many of you brought your Bible? Good. Some of you may have a copy of the Bible on your phone, and that's one of the great benefits and blessings of this age, to think that you can carry that small computer in your pocket and you have access to Scripture 24-7. Tonight, I do want us to think for a minute or two about the beauty of the Bible. And there's some things that I want to call attention to with respect to the Bible. And as Tim read a moment ago, Jeremiah 10, verse 23, Jeremiah said many, many years ago, it is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. So what Jeremiah is saying is we need divine direction, don't we? Now, there are many, many people in our world today that are trying to fly solo when it comes to living here on planet Earth. They have no divine direction. As a result of that, they're facing a lot of of trouble, a lot of turmoil in life, and they're groping really in spiritual darkness. And so what we want to do is to point people in the direction of God's Word, to say to people that there are many, many benefits associated with the Word of God. I want to begin tonight by, first of all, thinking for a minute or two about the purpose of the Bible. Have you ever ever just asked yourself, why do we have the Bible? Why do we need the Bible? Well, Jeremiah, I think, summed it up in a very candid way. It's not in man that walks to direct his own steps. And so in light of that, we need divine direction, don't we? There's a passage of Scripture found in the book of Psalms in Psalm 119. If you'll look at Psalm 119, listen, if you would, to what the psalmist said many, many years ago in verse 105. The psalmist wrote, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. In other words, God's word gives direction. It points us in the right direction in life. It tells us how to live. It tells us the benefits of the one that we ought to be living for. And So the psalmist here is saying that God's word is literally a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. The world in which we live is is really engulfed in spiritual darkness. John would write in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, and tell us that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Some translations say, lies in darkness. And Jesus would say in John chapter 3 that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. 
And so if we're going to see clearly, and if we're going to make our way successfully through this life and ultimately reach our goal of heaven, then we've got to have divine direction, don't we? And that divine direction comes in the form of God's holy word. Now you remember in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said to Timothy, all scripture, every scripture is inspired of God. And then he added this nugget. He said, and is profitable. God's word is beneficial. It is profitable. It is intended to be a blessing to our lives, isn't it? Now, there are a lot of people in our world today, sadly, that do not view God's word as a blessing. But what God says in his word is, if you will follow what I say, if you will live according to my will, you will be deemed a wise person and I will bless your life. If you choose to ignore my word, then you will be deemed a foolish person and ultimately you'll pay a heavy price. Now Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 7. Whoever hears these things of mine and does them, him I will liken unto a wise man who built his house on the rock. He said the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why? Because it was built upon the rock. But whoever hears these things of mine and does not do them, him I will liken unto a foolish man. He said the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Now note if you would, Jesus said those who follow what he says, they're wise. Those who fail to listen to what he says and fail to do what he says, he said they're foolish. So what we want to do is to appreciate the purpose of God's word. Now in 2 Peter chapter 1, listen to what Peter said. Turn with me if you would to 2 Peter chapter 1 for just a moment. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Peter said, according his, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory or called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter here is saying that God has given us everything that we need in the realm of life and godliness. All that we need contained in Scripture, right? Now sometimes we talk about how there are facts that must be believed. There are commands that are to be obeyed. And there are promises to be enjoyed. That idea is reflected throughout Scripture. And really that's what Peter is saying here. God has given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. There are certain things that we know that are divine facts, and we must believe those facts. There are certain commands that God has set forth, and we are obligated to obey them. And then there are many, many promises that we enjoy as a result of our relationship with the Lord. So God's Word has great benefits to us. The purpose, of course, is to safely guide us through this life. Now, you remember Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are pilgrims here upon this earth, aren't we? He identified us as strangers and pilgrims. And really this, this land, this earth, as we sing, is not our home, is it? We're on the road to heaven. And so if we're going to get from earth to heaven, then we've got to have divine guidance, don't we? That divine guidance comes in the form of God's holy word. So 
the purpose of God's Word. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our, in our lesson tonight. It has to do with the perpetuity of God's Word. Now, this book that we call the Bible was written over a span of about 14 to 1,500 years. Some 40 different writers were employed by Almighty God to record this book that we call the Bible. They wrote under the direction or superintendence of the Holy Spirit. Peter said, Prophecy never came by the will of man, but rather holy men of God spoke as they were moved or borne along by the Holy Spirit. That's found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. So, we have God's Word, that Word recorded in what we call the Bible. Now, as we think about the perpetuity of this Word, I said a moment ago that this book recorded over a span of about 14 to 1,500 years. It's amazing how many people down through the centuries have sought to the best of their ability to destroy this book that we call the Bible. There have been many that have sought to do away with it. They have tried to obstruct its influence in the lives of people. And yet, what does the Bible do? It continues to live on, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 8, many, many years ago, Isaiah said, the word of our God stands forever. And then Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now think about all the things that we enjoy in this life, the material things, the physical things of life. There are things that we use on a daily basis. And there are things that we appreciate and enjoy in this life. But as Paul said, we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. When we leave this world, there is only one thing that will follow us into eternity. Do you know what that is? It's God's Word. God's Word will ultimately be opened on the day of judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, you remember John in the Revelation wrote, he said, I saw the dead, the small and great, standing before God. And he said, the books were open. What books was he talking about, do you think? Talking about the Holy Scriptures. I believe he was talking about the Old Testament Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures. Those who lived under the patriarchal period, they're going to be judged according to that law, aren't they? Those who lived under the Mosaic Dispensation, they will be judged accordingly. But those of us who live today, we're going to be judged on the basis of the law of Christ, Galatians 6, verse 2. As a matter of fact, here's what James wrote concerning this book, and we talk about the perpetuity of Scripture. James said, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, James chapter 2, verse 12. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. And Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Listen to him. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. And what the Bible is saying is we need to make sure that we respect this book, that we honor this book, because one day we're going to be judged according to its contents. Now think about Jesus. During his earthly ministry, he talked a lot about Scripture, didn't he? In John chapter 9, or rather in John chapter 5 on one occasion, he said, search the Scriptures. Jesus quoted Scripture many, many times, citing the prophets and the Psalms. 
Jesus understood the power of the word. As a matter of fact, he would say, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. But here's what the Son of God said relative to this word that is eternal in nature. He said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, he said, the same shall judge him in the last day. So, God's word, as he said, as Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. One day this book will be judged, and all people will be judged on the basis of how they've lived in light of Holy Scripture. Now there's a third thing I want you to consider in our study. We talk about the purpose of the Bible, the perpetuity of the Bible. But what about the power of God's Word? God's Word has tremendous power, doesn't it? There's a passage found in Hebrews chapter 4 that I think is, is a very important passage of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the writer said, the Word of God is living and active. What he's saying there is, the Word, the Scriptures, they are not as some have the idea, they are not a dead letter. This book, as the Hebrew writer points out, is living and active. It is a living Word. It has tremendous power. And he said, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Don't you find that interesting in light of what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, verse 17? When he said to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's Word welds great power. And you think about the power of the gospel of Christ. And that's why Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Why do we preach and teach the gospel? Because it's God's power to save, isn't it? Paul would say, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, ourselves as His servants for your sake. We're not preaching what somebody said. We're not preaching history or science or any other type of literature, but rather we preach the gospel because we believe the gospel has great power. Now, I want to link something to this. We talk about the power of God's Word, but I want to suggest to you that God's Word is provocative in the sense that it evokes a response, doesn't it? God's Word evokes responses from people. Let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. Go back and look at Acts chapter 2 for a minute. I want to look at a couple of passages just very quickly. God's Word is powerful, but it is also provocative in the sense that it evokes a response from those who hear it. You remember in Acts chapter 2 when the apostle Peter and the other apostles preached the gospel on Pentecost Day in the city of Jerusalem for the first time. Now the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, they were superintended or directed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus had already told them that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. They would be endowed with power from on high in Luke chapter 24. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he talked about how they would be his witnesses in all the earth. But in Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter and the other apostles, they preached about the resurrected Christ. He was the focal point of their message. In verse 36, 
Peter said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, to suggest that Jesus was the Christ was to say he was the Messiah, the anointed one. He was the fulfillment of all the, of all the words of the prophets of old. And so he was simply saying that God has made this Jesus whom you put to death, he has identified him as both Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah. Now look at verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Some translations say they were pricked in the heart. And so they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's provocative, isn't it? Hearing the gospel for the first time, it evoked a response on the part of those who were in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day. And so in light of what they asked, what did Peter say? Peter said, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Drop down, look at verse 39. He said, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, I think about the gospel. It was given to the Jews. It was given to their descendants. But it was also applicable to the Gentiles, to those who are far off. Even as Peter said, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now look at verse 40. With many other words, he testified and exhorted, saying, be saved from this perverse generation or crooked generation. Again, evoking a response. So look at what Luke records in verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. In this verse, or rather in this passage, in this context, we come face to face with the power of the, of the word, the power of the gospel, and the fact that the gospel is provocative. Look at verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Look over in chapter 4 for a minute. In chapter 4, the Bible tells us the apostles were teaching the people they were preaching Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. All right, did their preaching and teaching evoke a response from the people? Well, listen to what Luke records in verse 4. Many of those who heard the word believed the number of the men came to about 5,000. Turn over to chapter 8. In chapter 8, we typically talk about the Samaritans, the fact that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ to the people. In verse 12, the Bible says, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. What did Philip preach about? He preached about the Christ, didn't he? He preached about the church of Christ. He talked about the importance of being a part of the body of Christ. As a result of that, what happened? People obeyed the gospel, didn't they? All right, you remember a little bit later in Acts chapter 8, we read of Philip coming in contact, coming, coming into contact with a eunuch. He had been to Jerusalem to worship. Many would suggest that he was a proselyte to the Jewish religion. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. He's on his way back home. He's reading Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah chapter 53 specifically. He's reading about the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Christ, who would pay the price for the sins of the human family. When the eunuch encountered him, 
He asked, or rather, Philip asked the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch responded by saying, how can I except some man guide me? Now drop down if you would, and note what is said. Verse 32, the place in the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he opened not his mouth, and his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet speak? Of himself or of some other man? Verse 35, the Bible says, Philip opened his mouth, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. All right, so these two men, they're traveling. The Bible says the eunuch's reading scripture. Philip converses with him about Isaiah 53. He explains, beginning in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. He talks about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Did it evoke a response? Well, look at what is said. Verse 36. As they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? So here's a question. Did the eunuch, did he, did he after hearing the gospel, hearing about the Christ, did he recognize the need for a change in his life? The answer is yes. God's word always evokes response. Now, sometimes people say no. Sometimes people are receptive to the gospel. On this occasion, here was a man who had an honest and a good heart. He was receptive to the gospel of Christ. So God's word is powerful. It is provocative. As the Hebrew writer said, and as Luke records in the book of Acts over and over and over again, now, there's something else I want you to see very quickly. It has to do with the fact that contained in the Word of God, we talk about some of the benefits and the blessings associated with Scripture and the beauty of the Bible. Did you know that if you will follow this Word, if you'll live according to this Word, you'll have tremendous peace in your life? Do you believe that? You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 119 many years ago, Great peace have those who love your law. Do you know why there are a lot of homes in our country tonight that are filled with turmoil? Do you know why there are many marriages that are crumbling in our society today? Do you know why there are countless numbers of children today that lack direction and guidance and discipline in their lives? Do you know why there, are, there is so much unhappiness, unrest, discontent, dissatisfaction in our world today? Could I tell you why? It's because people have failed to recognize the greatest antidote for peace in life is Scripture. That's, 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 that's the formula for peace. Look, you can't know anything about the Prince of Peace without reading this book called the Bible, can you? And think about, what, think about what was said in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus made his entrance into the world. Do you remember those angelic beings that cried out to God, glory to God in the highest? You remember what they said? Peace on earth, goodwill toward man. Is it possible for us to have peace in this life? The answer is yes. But there are a lot of folks in our world today, they are looking for peace. 
in all the wrong places. It's not in a bottle. It's not in some type of prescription drug. It's not in some form of a chemical substance. It's not in materialism. It's not in money. It's not in power. It's in following the Lord and living according to His Word. And there are a lot of people that... There's a passage of Scripture that I think is very important in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4, Paul said, neither give place to the devil. In other words, don't let the devil get a foothold in your life. Look, if you have a closed Bible and a closed mind, the devil will get a foothold in your life. And you won't have peace. You won't have serenity. You won't enjoy the blessings that God would would have you to enjoy. Now, when you pick up this book, we talk about the Prince of Peace. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. And Paul would point out in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus came and preached peace. Do you think the Lord wants us to have peace in our lives? Yes, He does. Do you not think that it breaks the heart of our God in heaven when he looks at the problems that are so prevalent in our world today? And and we talk about the beauty of the Bible and the blessings associated with God's holy word. God's word is is intended to be preemptive in life. In other words, it's intended to be proactive, to help us avoid pitfalls and troubles and struggles and trials in life. But sadly, isn't it the case that sometimes we think we know more than God? And so we turn a deaf ear to His Word. As a result of that, what happens? We lack peace. When we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we enjoy peace with God. And Paul said, we have the peace that passes all understanding. Now, the antidote, the prescription for peace is God's holy Word. If you'll follow this book, God will bless your life, won't He? Let me add one other thing very quickly to this. And that is prosperity. People today, do they not want prosperity in life? Don't we want prosperous lives? Don't we want to be successful in life? Think about about all the young people in our world today. We've got a lot of young folks here. And I'm grateful for all of our young people, and I'm thankful for their dreams and their aspirations and their goals in life. And as a young person, as a member of the human family, we all want to be successful. We all want to be prosperous in life. Well, how do we obtain that? Is it possible? Well, the answer is yes. Let me give you a passage of Scripture. Go back and look at Joshua for a minute. When we talk about the beauty of the Bible, the Old Testament has a lot of important information for us. And while we're not bound by the old law, the old law is profitable, isn't it? Know what Paul said? That those things that were were written before time were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So listen to what God said to Joshua in the long ago. And note, if you would, the key ingredients 
to prosperity and success. In verse 7, Joshua has been summoned by God to lead his people into the promised land. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. God said, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may what? That you may prosper wherever you go. The footnote in the New King James says that you may have success or act wisely wherever you go. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7? Those who hear his word and do it are likened unto a what? A wise man. Look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but he said you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all, A-L-L, that's an important word, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Now listen to the byproduct of meditating in this truth and honoring his word. He said, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. What are you saying, Lord? I'm saying if you will follow my word and if you will live in accordance with what I have taught you, you'll prosper and you will have tremendous success in this life. I don't know of anybody that wants to be a failure. I don't know of anybody that just walks out the door on a daily basis and, say, and says, I hope to be a failure today. I hope to make a mess of my life. No, we all want to be prosperous. We all want to be successful. We all want to be blessed in life, all right? Joshua, how then do we do that? Set forth right here. Meditate on his word. Observe the commands that are contained in scripture. And then what? And then I'll make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Now let me close by asking this. If I acknowledge the beauty of the Bible in my life, and if I live according to the precepts set forth in Scripture, will God bless me? Will I enjoy the promises that are contained in this book? The answer is a resounding yes. I want to leave you with one verse. Look at Revelation chapter 22. In Revelation 22, and I want you to listen if you would, to what John wrote in the Revelation. Verse 14. Blessed are those who do His commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now let's try to put this into perspective. The very last book of the Bible the very last chapter of the Bible, the final writer of inspired scripture, the Apostle John, is laying down before generations to come the key to enjoying the blessings of spending eternity with God. Well, what's the key? Blessed are those that do His commandments. Where are His, his commandments contained? In scripture. So what are you saying, John? John is simply saying that if we will follow His will, if we will be obedient to Him, we'll enjoy the blessings of heaven. We want to go to heaven, don't we? 
Didn't Paul say our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior, our Lord? How are we going to get to heaven? We're going to follow this book, aren't we? Isn't this our GPS to get us from earth to heaven? Yes, it is. If you want to get home, I'm talking about if you want to get to heaven, follow this book. I promise you, if you will follow this book, it will bless your life. Sometimes I struggle because I wonder what could be said, what could be done to wake some people up, to somehow get their attention. Because when I look at their life, I see a life of disarray. I see a life of, well, I see a life out of kilter. And if somehow I could get through to one person to say, look, follow the Word of God. It'll bless your life. There are a lot of people, there are some people in the church that sadly haven't learned that important truth. And so what we're trying to do tonight is encourage people to follow His Word. If you're here tonight and you have not obeyed the gospel, why not do that this very hour? Why not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Why not do what they did on Pentecost Day? Repent, be baptized, let God put you in the church, Acts 2, verse 47. If you're here tonight and you are not faithful to His cause and you need the prayers of the church, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. Could we pray for you tonight? Could we pray with you tonight as we stand and sing?